Entrepreneur on Fire 1059. I think he picked his ear and ate it all the time. And that was weird. I bet he likes earwax flavored ice cream. Hey, Fire Nation, and welcome to EO Fire, where I chat with inspiring entrepreneurs seven days a week. Ready to rock your own webinar? Text webinar course to 33444. That's webinar course, all one word, no spaces, to 33444. And you'll be rocking our free 10 day webinar course like a champ. Ignite. If you want 100% satisfaction guarantee, then go to LegalZoom.com today. Since they're not a law firm, you can get advice from LegalZoom's network of independent attorneys in most states. LegalZoom.com, promo code FIRE. Looking for a website host that provides 24-7 live support, one-click WordPress installs, and an easy-to-use website builder? Get started at HostGator.com by using promo code FIRE and the number 30. Hold on to those afterburners, Fire Nation. John Lee Doom is here, and I am fired up to bring you our featured guest today, Michael Port. Michael, are you prepared to ignite? Absolutely. Yes. Called Uncommonly Honest Author by the Boston Globe and Marketing Guru by the Wall Street Journal, Michael is a New York Times bestselling author of six books. Michael, take a minute. Fill in some gaps in that intro and give us a little glimpse into your personal life. I am a regular guy like I think most people who are listening. I've got a beautiful fiance. I was just engaged Aww, recently. Congrats. And will be married soon. Thank you very, very much. And I've got one uh, child from my first marriage and two uh, soon-to-be stepchildren, and I love them all dearly. I spend as much time as I can on my boat. I am obsessed with the water and boating. But I work really hard. You know, I really care about this work. I will, you know, go to the ends of the earth for the people that I serve. And, you know, we've only got one life to live. So, you know, light it up, do it on fire. Well, I will say that everybody who is served by you, Michael Porter, is a lucky person. I mean, I'm going to point everybody back right now to episode 756. That's 303 episodes ago, which is crazy to think, Michael, that it was that long ago that you were on because it feels like yesterday. But You rocked the mic that day, and you shared an amazing journey, your worst moments, your aha moments, all the goodness you had going on. So Fire Nation, just go to eofire.com. In the search bar, just type the word Michael or Port or both, and that will take you right there. That's a story you don't want to miss. And today we're going to do something a little bit different, and I am personally really excited about this, Michael, and I don't even think you know this yet because we didn't talk about it in the pre-interview chat, but Fire Nation, we're talking about the speaking and performance side of being an entrepreneur, and the reason why I'm excited, Michael, is because in exactly five days from when you and I are talking, I'm keynoting podcast movements in Fort Worth, Texas, which is going to be in front of over a thousand people. So it's going to be a massive audience. And we're going to be talking about the speaking and performance side of being an entrepreneur. So you better believe that I'm going to be taking some of these great tips you're dropping today and putting them into my talk this coming Saturday in Fort Worth. So a little side note, I'm a little excited for that. And kind of want to just pass it over to you right now, because I know a lot of people's number one phobia in the world is public speaking, even before death which is pretty crazy. So like, what would you say your step-by-step advice is for even creating the content for that speech, to even get people's mind wrapped around starting? 
Sure. Well, let's start with where this fear comes from, because the fear is self-imposed. I think the fear is a self-absorbed fear. Now, hang on with me. Bear with me, because (laughs) I'm not insulting anybody. What I'm saying is this. And I've been there. I have definitely been there. And sometimes I still go there, but I really try not to. If you are thinking about yourself before you walk on stage, you are often anxious. If you are thinking about the audience and being in service to them and delivering on the promise you make to them, then you are less nervous. Because if you focus on results, then you have something to focus on. If you focus on approval, then you're focusing on this. I don't want to be rejected. I don't want anybody to laugh at me. I don't want them to realize that I'm a fraud or think, what, 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 are, what, what are they doing up there? And if you focus on approval over results, then you continue to increase the anxiety and you become more self-absorbed, which means focused on yourself, which then, of course, produces more and more anxiety. So what I say is this. It's very simple. Focus on being helpful. Always focus on being helpful and you'll be less anxious. And be much better prepared because most people think of rehearsal for a speech as something you do maybe once or twice in your head the week before you give the speech or rehearsal to them is creating a slide deck and then sort of working out some ideas around the slide deck and then figuring, you know what, I'll come up with the good things to say during the speech which doesn't really happen very often. In the, I think the Marines that say you don't rise to the occasion, you fall back on your training. And I think the same thing is true for performance. I have a master's of fine arts from NYU, from the graduate acting program in NYU. And I spent three years training in classical theater. Then I worked professionally uh, as an actor in both TV, film, and I did uh, hundreds of voiceovers. That was my bread and butter during those days. And so when I started speaking professionally, I already had a craft. I had a skill set that allowed me to perform on stage. I just needed to create the content. Now, if you're new to speaking, then you may need to work on creating signature intellectual property, signature content, and also work on the performance skills. So both of those are just as important. One does not trump the other. So when you're thinking about creating content for a speech, start with a brain dump. Everything you know about the content topic, start with a brain dump, and that may take A couple days, may even take longer than that. But then number two, you organize the brain dump by compartmentalizing related ideas. And I'll give you a couple frameworks in a minute to help you do that. Then you note your direct experiences that relate to your main topic. So that's your direct experiences that relate to your main topic. Then you gather all of the direct data that's anecdotal or scientific that supports your topic. Then you start to look for holes or vulnerabilities in the logic or the persuasiveness of your content, and then you start editing. And then once you put it up on its feet, you cut, 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 because often the audience needs a lot less information to get the aha moment than you think they might. Now, there are a number of frameworks you can use to help compartmentalize your related idea. And the more organized your information, the more of an expert you are perceived to be. So there are a few frameworks that you can use to help organize your content. Number one, the numerical framework. Very popular, Stephen Covey, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People is a great example. And I'll use books as an example because most of us have read the same books, but we haven't all seen the same speeches. So we have a shared context this way. 
So that's one particular example of a framework that you can use. Seven keys, seven rules, seven habits. And you don't need to deliver them in the same way. You don't need to deliver all of them. You could deliver a few of them. So you have a lot of flexibility in the way that you design your speech and the formats in which you deliver it. The next framework is the chronological framework. So that's a step-by-step type framework. First this, then this, then this. And of course, there's often a numerical component. You may have three steps, five steps. And the chronological format requires that you go in order. So you have the numerical framework, no order. You have the chronological framework, a step-by-step order. Then you have a modular framework. And often a modular framework is very effective. It's either a number of modules or a number of parts. And if you have a lot of content that you need to organize uh, into a, a m- easier to consume framework, then the modular framework works very, very well. I use this for both Book Yourself Solid, which is what we talked about uh, on our last uh, last time I was here. And I also used it for my new book, Steal the Show. And that has three parts, which is the same as three modules, three parts. And the first part, I focus on the performer's mindset because we need to get that right before we start performing. And the second part, I focus on performance principles. And interestingly enough, I use a numerical framework inside that part You see how you can combine frameworks. And then for the third part, it's really a tour de force, a masterclass in public speaking. And that is in a chronological framework. First this, then this, then this, then this. So you can combine these different frameworks as your content gets bigger and bigger and more comprehensive. So you have the numerical, you have the chronological, you have the modular, and then you have a problem solution. You can have a problem solution that is Uh, also uses numerical. So I have 10 problems to solve. There are 10 problems that you run into when you try to do X. Well, here's a solution for each one. Problem, solution, problem, solution, problem, solution. And then finally, certainly not least, but last, nonetheless, is the compare and contrast framework, where you compare and contrast different ideas. Or say, for example, in good to great, Jim Collins compares good companies and great companies, and he shows you what's different about them. So you can make sure that that difference uh, exists in your company. So let me give you some more examples of these different frameworks. So I gave you Stephen uh, Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And then, uh, th- uh, let's see, the steps. What's, uh, let, me, let me give you an example. Book Yourself Solid is a perfect example of both modular and a chronological framework together. You can also look at a chronological framework book that is uh, – Um, Your Pregnancy Week by Week by Glade Curtis, because you don't really want to learn about week 30 when you're in week 15. (laughs) Got to stay where you are. And then, as I mentioned, Jim Collins, um, you have the uh, Good to Great book. And then the um, Problem Solution is a, a book called Why Parents Love Too Much. And it demonstrates, well, here, if you love too much, here are the problems you're going to create, uh, and here are solutions for those problems. So those frameworks give you a way in, and then you can start the brain dumping and the organizing and the noting the direct experiences and then gathering the direct data, anecdotal or scientific. And then you identify any holes or vulnerabilities because if you have holes or vulnerabilities, the audience is going to want to poke at them. Because if you're asking them to change something or to do something difficult, it's a lot easier to say, mm, I see a hole in your argument here than to listen to what is sound and valid uh, that they can actually do something with because it's confronting. So Fire Nation, we're going to have all of this and so much more in the show notes page. And of course, we're going to link to Steal the Show, which you know really breaks us down in an incredibly powerful way. And I will say, Michael, this next point hits a little too close to home. I mean... I'm very comfortable on stage personally. I've given hundreds of talks from stage and thousands of podcasts now. 
But man, looking at this number two point, I've been doing this wrong and it kind of hurts. Um, But I'm glad I have you here now so we can maybe help me (laughs) fix my talk on Saturday. What's the best way to create a powerful opening? And you know, you do say, don't waste time with fillers such as, I'm so happy to be here. And I feel like, unfortunately, that's my go-to. You can kind of picture me smiling, sure. walking on stage. Yeah. I bring my arms out like I'm about to hug the audience. And I'm like, I am so happy to be here. And yeah. wh- why is that bad? Well, I use that as an example. It's not the worst <laughs> thing in the world to say I'm so happy to be here. But I use that as an example because what's the alternative? That you're really pissed off right. that you're there? <laughs> I so, you of guys. course, you're happy to be there. I say show them. I say don't waste any time with filler. Like, I'm happy to be here. Or, you know, some banter about how I, you know, I flew in from Idaho and boy, my arms are tired. You know, <laughs> you, it's, it's the, it's the, if there's anything, if, if you talk about anything before uh, at the beginning and then you say, okay, let's get started. Yeah. That means whatever happened before you said, let's get started was a waste of time. Ooh. And the audience does not want their time wasted at all. So, Show them that you're happy to be there. Cut to the chase. Don't waste time with filler. And you don't have to start a presentation with a story. This is one of the things that you often see taught. Well, stories are so powerful. The brain is hardwired for stories. It's a human connection. Of course, we know all of this. But if you start a presentation with a story, that story better be killer. That story better crush. Because if it doesn't, then it's, okay, here's the speaker with the story that starts off the presentation, mm. like the guy that before with always there's the story, and, and then it doesn't work that well. But if the story really works, then it's great. So it's always about what works, not what's right. That's what's important. So I don't believe there's any one way to do this kind of work, because to me, it is art. It is art, and there isn't one way to do it. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to understand what the rules are, and then Break the rules to build something better in its place. You can be a critic or you can be a performer, but you can't be both. This is important. You can be a critic or a performer, but you can't be both. And if you're a critic, then you just find uh, problems. If you're a performer, then you find solutions. You find ways to break the, 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 the way that things are typically done and improve. And one of the simplest ways to do that is by coming out and starting smoothly right into your presentation and you'll be fine. And it could simply be this. Introducing them to the big idea behind your speech. Simple as that. Demonstrating the promise of the speech. Demonstrating the consequences of not adopting this new worldview or embracing this big idea. And, of course, introducing the rewards of doing so. Because the audience needs to know that you know the way the world looks to them that you're on the same page as them. And connecting with them around that right away is absolutely wonderful. And I also think what I just did is an example of a way to start a speech by talking to them about you don't believe there is any one way to do anything. For example, when I start, say, my Book Yourself Solid speech, I'm often introduced, you know, with, uh, well, not often, I'm always introduced with a bio that I give uh, and ask to be read. And I always require it to be read word for word. Uh, and you, we can talk about why, if you want, and the importance of, uh, of prepping the, the, the person who's doing that introduction and why it matters so yeah. much. But, you know, it's impressive. The, the bio's got some good, uh, you know, good uh, street cred 
uh, info in it. And so, you know, I, people, I could come out and people are like, all right, who's this big shot who's coming <laughs> to speak to us? So the first thing I say is, hey, guys, listen, let me ask you a question. And I ask them to lean in, actually. I say lean in for a second because I have a secret that I want to tell you and I don't want any of the other authors to hear. And of course, the other authors are there, so it, everybody knows it's kind of, okay, what's he going to do? What's he going to do? This could be a little bit cheeky. And if somebody does not lean in, let's say there's a thousand people there and there's one person who doesn't lean in, I wait and stop. And I say, even you, come on, everybody. Because they, if you ask the audience to do something, you need to wait until they all do it or else they take the room away from you. Ooh. You need to own the room. And you do it with a smile and you do it with charm and you have fun with it, but you need to own that room. So I ask them to lean in. Why? Because I want to speak quietly and I want them moving in towards me. Then I say, how can you tell how much BS exists in any one particular field or industry? And there's a big pause and they think about it. And I say, count the number of books written about it. And they laugh. And then I say, and I've written six. So what does that tell you? And then they <laughs> laugh harder. And I say, no, listen, I, I tell you this because my promise to you is I'm going to keep as much BS out of this presentation as I possibly can. And I don't think there's any one way to do anything. So I'm going to give you some ideas. I'm going to give you my way of seeing the world. Some of it you'll resonate with. Some of it you might not. But something you don't resonate with today might strike you as relevant in a week. So boom. And then we're into it. It's really simple. Now, obviously, I start out with a little bit of a joke, but I don't. Not everybody should start out with a joke. You know, not everybody feels really comfortable telling jokes. I'm not funny. But, so. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I think you're funny. I, I do. I think you're funny. And I think that if you're going to tell a joke, you need to know that joke inside and out. I mean, this is the thing, you know. The other, the other thing that, that I think gets people hung up, uh, you know, makes them so anxious is they're just not prepared. Yeah. And they think that because they experienced something, like something happened to them, they can tell that story in front of an audience without rehearsing it because it actually happened. But telling a story in front of an audience is dramatically different than telling your friend about it after it happened. So, Michael, you talked about stories. And you did say that, you know, it's not always wise to lead with one. You can if you absolutely crush. But the reality is stories can be very powerful within the presentation as well. So, I'd love to know, how can I tell stories that actually have the audience on the edge of their seat, whether it be in the opening or, you know, place somewhere in the middle or towards the end? So when you tell a story, make sure that you write that story. You want to get to the point where you can tell that story the same way every time. Of course, you'll ad lib a little bit, you know, here and there. You might have some things that are different. But for the most part, it's the same story because a story is not something that you can generally just ad lib. And the way that you organize that story allows you to rehearse it so that it is perfect. And you use Aristotle's three-act structure. It is the structure in which most, uh, that, that most playwrights use to organize plays. It is a structure that is often used in films. It, it is, of course, as I said, Aristotle's. It is not mine. Most stories are just like plays or movies. They have three acts. And act one, you introduce the given circumstances, the setting, the time, the place, the way the world looks, the things that the audience needs to know about the characters in the story or the setting of the story. Now, without proper exposition, the story goes nowhere. Because the audience can't follow too much exposition and the audience gets bored. They're like, all right, come on, get on with it. Let's go. So act one is the given circumstances. You want to use as little exposition as you possibly can 
to get the time setting and circumstances set. Just as little as you can, but enough to make sure that they're clear. Act two is the conflict. So there's a struggle. There's an obstacle in the way. Something happens. There's an inciting moment of some kind that changes things. And this is where the tension builds. The majority of your story is in act two, and you're consistently trying to raise the stakes. I I talk a lot about raising the stakes uh, in the second part of the book, because if we want to raise this, if we want to do anything in a big way, if we want people to pay attention to what we're doing, if we want to accomplish big goals, if we want to enthrall an audience, we need to raise the stakes, take more risks. And the higher the stakes are in the story, the more interesting the story. The story of like, hey, I went to get a piece of pizza. That's the story. There's no stakes. Nothing happened. I went to the, get a piece of pizza. And as soon as I got, th- I got in there, guy walks in with a gun and a mask, points it at my head. Ooh. Well, now the stakes are high. <laughs> okay. So those are two very different stories. I'm not interested in the first story. I went to get a piece of pizza. And, right? I don't care about that story. I went in to get a piece of pizza. Guy walks in with a black mask and a gun. He points it at my head. Holy shit, what happened? That's what I want to know. <laughs> right. So that's the conflict. And you want to keep increasing the tension. And then maybe one conflict after another conflict after another conflict. So first he points the gun at my head. Okay. Next thing he does is he kicks me in the, in the leg and he puts me down on my knees. Okay. Well, next it keeps building and building and building. So that's where the majority of the story occurs. Then in act three, you have a resolution, a change, progress, some sort of transformation. Now the resolution in a joke is the punchline and a, and a joke often uh, follows the same structure as a story. Here's, here's the world. Here's the thing that happened. And here's the punchline. So the punchline or the resolution has got to be worth waiting for. If it's huge conflict, but the resolution is kind of mundane, like, oh, that's what happened. Oh, okay. Oh, well, all right. You know, for example, if the guy, if the guy comes in with the store with the gun, there's all this conflict around it. And then he, all of a sudden he just turns around and walks out. <laughs> okay. Let down. Okay, that's a letdown. But, you know, if it's a story where you decide, you know, you've never been in a fight in your life, you're, you're scrawny and little and weak, but you decide, today I'm going to do something, today I'm going to stand up for myself, and you take out that guy, well, there's a resolution that's worth waiting for. So when you're working on these stories, they need to be crafted, sculpted, molded, so that that resolution is worth waiting for. And if it's a if it's not a big resolution, that show, story should be short. If the resolution is huge, if it's powerful, then the story can get longer and longer and build and build and build. There's a story that I often close uh, Book Yourself Solid with that is a four and a half minute story. That's a long story, but the punchline always delivers. And so I'm working tension, 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 setting up, setting up, setting up and getting to that punchline. So act one, setting time, place, Fire Nation. Act two, the conflict. Act three, it's that revolution, that transformation that actually happens. Um, like, so how could I stop my habits of using filler words? <laughs> well, look, here's the thing. We will use filler words. I think the idea that we can get rid of every filler word we ever use it's possible, but it would take a lot more work than I think is necessary. However, we use fewer filler words when we know what we're talking about and we know, and we've planned what we're talking about. Now, some of us still have habits. We'll say things like, right, you know, 
which is okay once in a while. But if it becomes a habit, if it is redundant, then it can start to get on the nerves of the audience. So one of the things you can do is you can record yourself and then listen back to your recordings and listen for how many times you use uh, words that are filler words, like sort of, kind of, basically, right? They're, they're weak words. If you asked me, if I'm a startup, if I have a startup and you asked me, you know, what kind of product are you guys creating? And I said, well, it's basically a bike that has, you know, I don't want to- You've wanna, already lost you, me. You lost me. My product is this. It's not basically anything. What's the name of your speech? Well, it's basic. What's your speech about? It's basically this. No, it's not basically. It's exactly this. So we need to make sure that we can move those filler words out of our language. But if you record yourself and you listen back, then you can start to work on working into the microphone again, record, listen back, working to the microphone again, record, listen back, working to the microphone again, record, listen back, and then ask the people around you to slap you every time you use (laughs) a particular word. So if you end your sentences with right, then ask the people who live in your house to give you a spanking every time you say it. (laughs) And obviously I'm being cheeky here, but I don't think it's a bad idea to have some sort of consequence associated with uh, using those words because then you will stop using them because you'll recognize. Often they become ingrained in us and we don't even realize that we're using them. It's so true. And I will admit something a little cheeky myself. I watched the last episode of The Bachelor and during that season What? What? (laughs) During that season they had a jar called the Amazing Jar and anytime anybody said the word amazing they had to put a dollar into that jar and every single episode there was like 50 amazings. This date was so amazing. He's so amazing. Wait Johnny there were like 50? (laughs) Oh that's my like jar. That's my oh. like jar. <laughs> amazing. Uh, amazing is a very popular word right now. Yes. It is something that we hear people say a lot. And I think it's great that there was an amazing jar because it is a word that is often used and it's not particularly descriptive. So what we're looking for are words that are descriptive, that have visuals associated with them rather than relying on relatively weak or nondescriptive words. Let me give you another uh, thing to consider. Yeah. One of the things you just said was that every single week they put money in, or they put something in this amazing jar. And in that particular case, it may be true that every episode they put something in the jar. However, often when we're given speeches, we use absolutes that are not absolute. We will often say, everybody does this, or it's always this way, or you have to do this. Well, I don't have to do that. I'm not sure every, if I said, listen, nobody likes earwaxed flavored ice cream. You know, that seems like a sensible thing to say, but in actuality, it may not be true. So, you know, I might think, you know what? I remember this kid Fritz that I went to grammar school with. The kid picked his ear and ate it all the time. <laughs> and that was weird. I bet he likes earwax flavored ice cream. And, and I use that as another cheeky example, but I think you get the point is that all generalities are false, including that one. And when you use absolutes, you can then actually put holes in your argument. When you use absolutes, you can put holes in your argument because it gives the audience an opportunity to think of an alternative, to think of something contrary to what you just declared. 
But if you use words that leave room for alternate opinions, if you say, often people do this, very often people do this, it seems like this, you might consider this. It's possible that this, now the marketer would say, no, 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 never do that because you have to tell them it's always this way. You have to do it this way because then that's better for sales. I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in what is honest on the stage. And I'm interested in making sure that you can get your message across. Because again, as I said earlier, if you're asking people to change the way they see the world, if you're asking them to do things that are difficult, if you're asking them to feel something that they haven't felt before, it may be confronting to them. And even if they like you, and even if they th- think you're you're clever and charming, they may resist doing it because it's difficult for them. And if you give them a reason to resist, they might actually resist. Do you see how I put a might in there? Because often what people would people do is say, they will resist. Well, they might not resist. They might come along with you, but often they'll resist. So what we're doing is we're allowing for alternative viewpoints. We're allowing for room for that individual to think for themselves And then they might be more likely to adopt your argument. This all points to the need to rehearse because when you called me out on using like, and I was kind of thinking about, well, why did I say like before 50? The reason is because I didn't know what number I was actually going to say. So I was giving myself like half a second to come up with a number, you know, like 52 or like 48 or like 50. And that was just like my use of the filler word because I hadn't rehearsed it. So Fire Nation, I hope you're seeing that this is all kind of pointing This is all pointing back to the need to rehearse and the need to really take your talk seriously. And Fire Nation, we have a lot of great stuff coming up. But before we get there, we're going to take one minute to thank our sponsors. I don't need to tell you about the importance of growing your online presence because you already know the key to growing any business successfully is having one. And it all starts with your home base, your website. But there are a lot of moving pieces that go into building a website, securing your URL, getting a hosting package, choosing a theme, the list goes on. Lucky for us, HostGator.com is your one-stop destination for all website and hosting needs. Whether you already have a website or you need to build one from scratch, HostGator is key to helping you get your online presence started. Their award-winning 24-7, 365 support via live chat, telephone, and email is unparalleled in the hosting world. They're there for you. Plus, they've just raised a bar by introducing their brand new optimized WordPress hosting plans. Get started with HostGator today by using promo code FIRE and the number 30. Just visit HostGator.com, enter promo code FIRE and the number 30 today. How did the legal system get so complicated? If laws are made to protect and serve us, then why do you have to pay a lawyer by the hour to figure out how to run your own business or how to protect your own family? Thanks to LegalZoom, you don't. For more than a decade, they provided a way for normal people like you and me to confidently navigate the legal system. LegalZoom is not a law firm, and that's how they provide such great value. They don't rely on charging excessive hourly rates. If you need help with incorporation, LLCs, trademarks, last wills, living trusts, and more, start with LegalZoom. They've got the right people on hand to answer your questions, including a network of independent attorneys to provide legal advice in most states. Don't let legal hurdles become an excuse. Go to LegalZoom.com today and start building your own future right now. Don't forget to enter FIRE in the referral box to check out to save even more. That's LegalZoom.com, promo code FIRE. LegalZoom.com. 
So Michael, we're back. You are dropping value bombs left, right, down the center. And one thing that I would love to talk about next, because I think I had this nightmare just a few nights ago. Yikes, my mind blanked. And in the Mm. middle of my presentation, I went absolutely blank. What now? Stay connected to the audience. It's maybe scary, but if you disconnect from the audience, you may have more trouble remembering what comes next because you're disconnecting. If you stay with the audience because you were with them the moment before, your recall will likely be faster and they may not even know that your mind blank. In, effect, in, in fact, you might even be able to create an unexpected moment out of it. If you're well rehearsed, then your material will come back to you. Your material will come back to you if you're well rehearsed. And so this way you're more relaxed. The more relaxed you are, the easier it will be to recall that information. People often push back on the rehearsal, especially people who are natural communicators who, who like to wing it because they feel comfortable up there winging it because they feel quick on their feet. I'm kind of raising my hand right now, Michael. Yeah. <laughs> I hate well, to you admit know, it. you and yeah, so you, you know, I've had a, I have, I work with a lot of A-listers and a lot of the A-listers get into public speaking performance because they are quick on their feet. And so as a podcaster, you're about as quick on your feet as, as it gets. So naturally, you could go up there uh, and you could give an entertaining presentation with lots of information without rehearsal, but it'll probably wander and it won't necessarily uh, have a real clear through line and have lots of really specific uh, organized takeaways that they can do something with. Correct. But you could pull it off. You could pull it off. They'd say, you know what? Yeah, you know, Johnny was good, man. I mean, he, he was good. He was good. He was but you could good. also... You, <laughs> Yeah, you could also have them going, oh my God, that blew my mind. Nice. Not only did I learn a ton, but that was a performance. So back to the rehearsal thing. Often when you feel like you have this gift of gab, then you get worried about rehearsing because you feel like it will make you stiff. And the reason that is, is because you may have tried rehearsing in the past, but only done a little bit of rehearsing. So you knew your information a little bit better than winging it. But what happened is you were trying to recall that little bit of information when you were actually performing and that made you stiffer because it wasn't, it didn't live inside of you. And then what happens is the person who wings it goes, oh, well, it doesn't really work for me when I rehearse, but they never rehearse to such an extent that they know it so well, they can forget about it. They can throw it away as if they don't know it, walk on stage, recall it, in the moment as if it was the first time they ever said it and it will seem completely natural. So you don't have to memorize word for word a speech. Some people do and it can work very well. Others don't and they can do just as well with a really clear outline, really strong bullets, a really clear, well-chosen, well-crafted stories inside uh, and, and you know, really great uh, anecdotal and, and uh, empirical data, etc. But that has to be memorized so you know exactly where it is. And if you rely on your slides to know what comes next, then I don't think you're rehearsed enough yet. The slides are something you build after a presentation, not before a presentation, if you use slides at all. So for Book Yourself Solid, I don't use any slides. 
And in part, I don't use it on these slides just to prove my point. Since I teach performance, I need to demonstrate that I could do 90 minutes on stage, keep you on the edge of your seat with one, without one visual. Because I can, I can create the visual images in your mind through my words and actions. And that's, that's what we're working toward. And we don't need to rely on visuals on the screen. Plus, you want to be able to do your presentation without visuals because very often you'll have technical problems and those visuals will not be there for you. And if you need them in order to know what comes next, you may be in trouble. So you can memorize word for word or you can, uh, you can create an outline and then work inside that outline. And so for Book Yourself Solid, I work inside an outline. There is a, there are four modules of Book Yourself Solid. There are four building blocks in module one, four in module two, two in module three, and six in module four. And I work through all of them. There are some things I say the same way every time because I know they work that way well for an audience. There are same stories that I tell each time in the same sections, but there's a lot of ad lib inside of that. However, the Think Big Revolution is a speech that I do that I that is memorized 100%. It's a 55-minute keynote. I know it word for word, and that allows me to go up there and perform it flawlessly, even if once in a while I'm like, wait, what was next? But I'm staying in the moment, so I find it. It allows me to perform it flawlessly as if it was the first time I ever did it. So when they're watching me, they have no idea that it's memorized. Obviously, they go, well, obviously, this is really quite a presentation. Obviously, he's put this together so he knows what he's going to say. But it doesn't sound like it's rehearsed. It doesn't, I mean, it doesn't sound like it's memorized. It sounds like it's happening in the moment. And that's what actors do. That's why, you know, that's why Steal the Show is based on acting techniques for non-actors that you can use not just for public speaking, but in all the different performance situations of your life. We do all these things that you're talking about. We do the rehearsal. We focus on really making sure that we know our lines A to Z. And we're looking to get the most out of this. And this is all a lot of work. I mean, Michael, this is a lot of work to get ready for one talk from stage. And I think that's honestly one reason that I struggle a little bit because there's always so many things that I can do for my business that are scalable, that are leverageable. And I have to ask myself, like, if, how much time can I spend on a talk that's going to be in front of a group of people when, you know, I could be doing so many other things as well or alternatively? So, yeah, this is, this is the pushback I sometimes get. They say, well, you're asking a lot of me. And I say, I know I am. I know I'm asking a lot. To me, the stage is a place of reverence. If you're given the stage and there's thousands of people in the room, let's say there's a thousand people in the room. I don't know how many are going to be at the podcast. Movie, a thousand. But there's a thousand. Okay, there you go. A thousand people in the room. That's a thousand hours, thousand hours of time for your one speech. Each person's hour is one hour. That's a thousand hours that you've been given. And to me, that is an honor. So I, I look at that stage as a place where we are lucky to be, we're given that platform. And if we're given that platform, I think we need to work pretty darn hard on the speeches that we're giving because we have to deliver on a promise that we've made to that audience. Now, of course, we can, we can choose not to deliver it, but then we probably won't be asked back and uh, it won't be very good for our reputation. So if you're not going to be a professional speaker, I don't mean you, but if one is not going to be a professional speaker and only once in a while they're going to give a speech, no, I'm not asking them to work 500 hours on something, but I'm asking them to give more than they give now because even just a little more than they're doing now will make a big difference. But if somebody is, is going to be a professional speaker or give the keynotes at events with a thousand people, etc., that is one of the most powerful things you can do for your business. It is absolutely scalable, leverageable because the amount of awareness you're creating with 
you're speaking is significant. And then, of course, if you start getting paid 10, 20, 30, 40, $50,000 a speech, you're getting paid to market yourself at the same time is really quite an extraordinary concept if you think about it. So it all depends on what you're doing with it, what the goal is, what the purpose is. And if it's just something you do once in a while, then you just put a little bit more effort into it. You'll do a good job uh, and you'll feel more comfortable and it won't be an anxiety provoking experience. But if you're going to do it all the time as a, as something that is a big part of your either marketing efforts or, or business development efforts or revenue generating efforts, then I think it's something that you spend a lot of time uh, on and you don't create new speeches every time you go somewhere. You customize slightly for the audience based on the needs of that audience. However, you create a signature speech. One or two. I have two. One is Book Yourself Solid, and one is The Think Big Revolution. And then the new one coming down is uh, Steal the Show, a keynote in one act, which is very, very unusual. And I wouldn't ask anybody to do something like that. It's more like a play. And it actually, more like I say like on purpose, more like a play. It is not actually a play, <laughs> but it is a hybrid between a play and a keynote. So it is like nothing you've ever seen before. But The Think Big Revolution is a one-man show, whereas Book Yourself Solid is a curriculum-based presentation. So there are different types of presentations for different audiences, but I don't do 15 different ones. And if someone calls and asks, Michael, can you do a presentation on X? And it's not something that I do. I say, no. I say, I'll come and sit on a panel and you can do Q&A around it and I'll give you uh, my thoughts on the questions that are asked, but I won't do a keynote on it because if I'm going to do a keynote, I want it to be at a certain level. That is the mindset, Fire Nation, we, and by we, I mean myself included, need to have when we're approaching these opportunities, you know, specifically keynotes and, and speaking in front of large groups. Absolutely. I love that mindset shift of that one of those 1000 people are 1000 hours. That's just, that's great. That's a phenomenal way to put it. So I do it, Michael. I put in the time, I put in the effort. How can I actually motivate the audience to take action after the presentation? You know, whether that be, you know, following me on Facebook or setting up for my online program or buying a book. There's a process that you can use. And the process is actually set in the first stage of preparing for your presentation. Okay. And uh, this, look at this as a five-step exercise that'll help you. So number one, what type of performance are you going to give? What type of performance are you going to give? Are you giving a message speech or are you giving a curriculum-based speech? A message speech is one big idea. Maybe you have 15 minutes to introduce a new big idea. That's, that's, that's one big idea delivered as a message. Maybe a curriculum speech is a how-to. You know, it's like the 10 steps uh, to set up a podcast and hit number one on new and notable. Mm -hmm. I'm just making that up. Yeah. So right. what kind of, what, what type of performance are you going to give? Number two, who's in the audience? Always, we need to know this. Who's in the audience? Number three, how will your audience benefit from the performance, right? That's the promise. That's the big takeaway. Number four, what is your call to action? So identify, right? Really identify your call to action so that you can begin to craft your performance around that. And when I say call to action, I don't mean go to the back of the room and buy this. I don't teach that kind of stuff. Your call to action is, what is the person in the audience going to do after the speech that is going to be based on the big idea of your presentation and will help them achieve the promise of the presentation? And then, of course, how can you leverage your performance? How can you turn that into something else? You know, maybe you do want to 
you know, sell some books at the back of the room. Well, how do you do that? Maybe you want to get some uh, clients uh, to come and, you know, some people to come up and sign up for your newsletter or uh, sign up for some uh, free consulting with you. There are any number of things we could ask them to do at the end. Maybe we want them to text a number to get a free PDF with a whole bunch of resources uh, and then sign up for our newsletter at the same time, which is a wonderful tool, by the way. Mm. Uh, this ability to text now in, it's just extraordinary. You're I getting it. so many more opt-ins than you would uh, really ever before, uh, you know, right there in the middle of a speech. It's extraordinary. I use, uh, I use lead digits. There's a number of other services out there people can use for that. So the question is, what do you want them to do? And then how are you going to get them to do it? It's just like a web page, right? Who's coming? What do you want them to do? How are you going to get them to do it? And there are hundreds of different techniques you can use to get people to do the things you want them to do. But keep it very simple and focus on one thing that you want them to do, right? Whatever your call to action is, make sure you reinforce it at the end before the applause. This is critical. Often people will end their speech like, oh, okay, I'm done. And then they forget to say, oh, Meet me in the back of the room because I'm going to be doing X, Y, and Z, or I'm going to hold a round table at the bar uh, tonight, or I'm going to be signing books in the back over here. And for everybody that buys one book, they get a free copy of this. Sometimes they forget to do it and then they'll do it after the applause and people are already getting up, walking away. So once the applause come, that's it. It's over. Don't say anything else. Take a big bow, smile. Thank you. Kiss the audience. I love you. And then you get off stage. There's a rumor, Michael Poor, going around that you can guarantee a standing ovation. Now, I, I will be honest. I have never gotten what I would consider a true standing ovation. I've definitely had people in the audience stand up and, and clap after, but it's never been that like raucous whole room type of thing. So can you guarantee that? I can't guarantee the raucous. <laughs> Absolutely not. But I use this as a, as a little tongue in cheek to demonstrate to you that, that all performance is performance. All performance is manufactured. Honestly, though, and I know this is a this is a this is one of those concepts, especially if you end on is a little bit like what? Wait, what is he saying? <laughs> that we need to balance this idea that we are authentically performing and we're manufacturing an experience. That's performance. When you go to Cirque du Soleil, they are actually doing the things that you see them do, but they're manufacturing it for your entertainment. When you go to a movie and you watch Meryl Streep, she's actually feeling the things that you see her feeling. But it's in a film that is manufactured for your entertainment. And a speech is the same way on the stage. It is a manufactured experience for your entertainment that should also be authentic at the same time. So I say this, uh, I use this, you know, guarantee a standing ovation to be a little bit cheeky because if you want a standing ovation at the end, you can ask them to stand up before you finish. And they will be standing and they will be clapping and you will have a standing ovation. It's all manufactured to a certain extent. I shouldn't say all manufactured to a certain extent. That's actually not what I meant to say. Performance is manufactured to a certain extent. So, for example, if you want to thank the organizers at your event, at the end of your speech, you ask the audience, stand up. Let's give a round of applause to the organizers. You give the round of applause to the organizers. You say, thank you very much. It was an honor to be here. I say, I love you all, but not in a weird way. And I love you all for being the big thinkers that you are. Good night. God bless. And boom. And they're standing up clapping and you're out. So if you want a standing ovation, you can create a way for them to stand at the end and they will actually give you a standing ovation. Now, that is not the same thing as them 
leaping to their feet <laughs> because they <laughs> cannot contain themselves anymore. Uh, and, uh, you know, look, the thing about a standing ovation is that often it's a couple people stand up and then some more people and then some more people and some more people. I'm like, I can't and, see. I might as well stand up. <laughs> it, yeah, exactly. So that not everybody wants to stand up, but they do it anyway. And the thing that the thing is people may want to stand up, but if other people aren't doing it, they won't do it yet. Right. So if you just have a few people stand up and a few more will stand up and a few more will stand up and a few more will stand up. One of the things that I also do at the end of a presentation is I have them work through all of the key points that I've taught them standing on their feet in the last 10 minutes. So they're up and moving in the last 10 minutes rather than sitting. And so they feel much more engaged and alive physically at the end. And then they're standing up and they're clapping. So, Michael, we've gone through a lot of awesomeness today. And again, I do want to just share with you, Fire Nation, that we're going to have the show notes page chock full of everything we've talked about. Michael's book, Steal the Show, is going to be your go-to source to deep dive into all this for sure. And Michael, why don't you kind of break this down for us in kind of a nice little summation? Why don't you take a second, tie this in a nice little bow? What do you want to talk to Fire Nation about here as kind of our final goodbye? Lee Strasberg, who was one of the most famous acting teachers, said that actors create reality and then consistently express that reality. And I think that's what all human beings do. The question is, are you choosing to create that reality and then willing to express that reality? And it takes a performer's mindset, I believe, to do that because the quality of our life is in large part determined by our ability to perform during life's high stakes situations. And Steal the Show is all about mastering the game of performance so that you can steal the show during life's most important moments. Stealtheshow.com. Is there a, another place you want to send Fire Nation beyond that, Michael? Stealtheshow.com, tons of bonuses. You know when we launch books, we have to give away tons and tons right. of stuff. That's just the nature of it these days. So you want free video courses, you want to come to events, uh, in different parts of the country and see a masterclass in action, see me actually coaching people on stage. You want to be coached on stage in front of others. Uh, so many different things we're giving away. We're even, we're even giving away as a bonus tickets to our wedding and an all expenses paid trip to New York, what? which is definitely, it's actually called the ridiculous bonus. Like you'd be absolutely <laughs> insane to buy this bonus, but uh, all the other bonuses are, are quite reasonable and we hope you come and take advantage of them at stealtheshow.com. I love it. And Fire Nation, I love that you know that you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And you've been hanging out with Michael P. and JLD today. So keep up the heat and head over to eofire.com. Type Michael or Port in the search bar. His show notes page will pop right up. You'll get to see this episode, his last episode, 756, right there for your listening pleasure. And of course, your direct call to action is stealtheshow.com. Go get all those ridiculously great gifts and check out the ridiculous bonus because you never know. It might just be for you. Yeah, and you know, that ridiculous bonus is probably not a bad idea. There's going to be some pretty influential people at that wedding. <laughs> right. Good networking opportunity. Great networking. And Michael, as always, man, just thank you for sharing your knowledge with Fire Nation today. For that, we salute you, brother, and we will catch you on the flip side. Thank you so much. 
Fire Nation, thank you for joining us on EO Fire. Visit eofire.com for links to everything we chatted about today, killer resources, free trainings, and so much more. Are you subscribed to our Fire Nation newsletter? Why the heck not? Text EO Fire to 33444. That's EO Fire, all one word, no spaces, to 33444, and you'll receive value bombs galore. Today is your day, Fire Nation. Ignite.